we have to be uncomfortable. We have to be able to listen to like hard stuff because our privilege is actually related to other people's oppression. I'm Beth Rubenstein. I'm the Deputy Director of Policy and Communications at Public Works, and I've been at Public Works for a couple years. And I, I feel like my work is always about connecting the dots within our department. I grew up in Washington, D.C., which at the time was a majority black community, and our next door neighbors were black. But I was brought up with progressive white liberal parents, and the, the message then was, is we don't see color. That was the way to be sort of non-racist. And so I was very much imbued with the ideas that we were, we're all created equal, we're all human beings, and I treat everyone equally. And this was like really emphasized. I'm white, but I'm also Jewish. And my Jewish background and my Jewish traditions and culture are really important to me. So if people just see me as who I am, as just as a human being and don't see my background, I feel like they're only getting part of me. And they're making... Um, they can easily make stereotypes and assumptions about me without knowing the true me. So in my own journey, I began to understand that not seeing color was actually getting in the way of really understanding people's experiences. As an adult, being on my own journey around, around racism, I've come to see it in a very different light and realize actually how much was lacking in my own education. And I think one of the things that's most telling is that to most other people in the country, Washington DC is, is a Southern town. I never had the sense of being in the South at all. I mean, we talked about the Mason Dixon line, but that was so far from us. My understanding of slavery was that it was bad and then it was over. And then there was no more discrimination, which didn't quite jibe with my experience, but I also didn't really, I didn't know where to, didn't know what to do with that thinking. I saw how the poorest neighborhoods in the city were predominantly black. I saw that, that schools were segregated socially. I saw that institutions were segregated socially. Wherever I was, the people who were serving were black and the people who were served were white. People who shined shoes, the people that served in the cafeteria were black and the people in power were white. So I, I saw it like on an everyday way. And yet I was constantly taught don't see color because we're all human beings. And so there was, there was like this dissonance. There was no explanation. Well, if we're all equal, we're all human beings. Why is our society so stratified? As a, as a kid, I don't think I knew how to articulate that. And I mean, like I know my, my dad went to the March on Washington uh, where Martin Luther King spoke. And so they had a consciousness about it, but they still were sort of kind of white liberal mentality that, that didn't recognize racism as a system. And I now really understand, you know, like in the 70s, like SF State was really at the forefront of this, is pushing an ethnic studies department. I, I remember when I first heard about that, I didn't quite understand it, but of course it makes sense because the history we were all being taught left out so much other, so much other history that would ex explain the racist systems our country was built on. And so to you know, ethnic studies is obviously key because the, our mainline history was ignoring a lot. As a white person, we get so used to being in spaces where the people in it are majority white and the situations have been created by white people and we don't even realize it. 
but they're spaces that non-white people don't necessarily feel as invited or as welcome in. So before I came to public works, before I came to city government, I was the longtime director of a youth arts center in the Excelsior and OMI neighborhoods in San Francisco. And a lot of my job was sort of community organizing and working with my partners in the community. And most of my colleagues were all people of color. Um, and they were, had deep connections to the working class communities in that area. Finding my way in that situation was really interesting because I was in a space where I had to, I had to actively make myself listen and not talk and to realize that I had a lot, of, I had, had more to learn than I probably had to share. You know, my voice was important too, but I think part of this is what people call decentering. Like as a white person, I've been at the center of things in my life. You know, I realize that now, I mean, even as a woman. So part of being in uncomfortable situations is not doing what you normally do. Like I would, you know, I'm normally at the front of the class. I'm normally asking the most questions in a, in a group conversation. So I had to step back and I had to learn how to respect different ways of thinking also, you know, that may not seem uncomfortable, <laughs> but it is uncomfortable because part of it is like, well, what is my value in the space then? But what a good thing for me to ask, because I always assumed I, I had value in the space. And so many other people don't get that, don't have that privilege because of just the way our, you know, culture is set. I think what's been really important now at Public Works and um, being part of the Racial Equity Initiative is sort of continuing that to work towards racial equity in our department. And what that looks like is that we want to look internally at our practices and see where, you know, we may have fallen astray, where we're not being equitable or as equitable as we'd like to be. And then we also want to look at how we provide our services to the public and analyze them from a racial equity lens. So I, I want to quote our director, Alaric de Graffenried. He said very clearly that, you know, there will be missteps, so that's okay, better than not taking any steps at all. And then he also says that we're going to have to be comfortable in the discomfort because we're going to, when we start looking at data, we're going to see disturbing things. We start hearing people's experiences and listening hard and not trying to cover it up, not trying to fix it immediately, but just listening. We're going to hear hard stuff because there's a lot of people in our department that have suffered. You know, for many of us, particularly white people or people who are what we call adjacent to white people, so that have a lot of privilege themselves, we don't feel racism. I mean, like I've had some anti-Semitic comments thrown at me throughout my life, but that's not like what it's like to be a, a, a brown or black person. I mean, there are people in our community that experience uh, racism daily, multiple times. So I think for us with privilege to, to begin to understand these systems, we have to be uncomfortable. We have to be able to listen to like hard stuff because our privilege is actually related to other people's oppression. So it's a painful pro process to understand that privilege and not, it's really not about feeling guilty about it at all. It's actually about learning about it and then figuring out how to take action and to be um, an ally or even better to be sort of an accomplice in the movement and to, to be anti-racist and kind of goes back to what I was saying about growing up to be colorblind and how that dampened the conversation. And because, because like what my parents taught me, I think like from a good place, from a loving place, but they, but they taught me that 
we're not racist. We think everyone's equal. You know, we're all human. But, but that's not really enough. Being non-racist is not enough. We actually have to work actively against all these systems because they affect all of us. If I don't see someone else's color, I don't see their background, I don't see the, the richness of their history, I don't see their people. And the, the best way for me to understand it is to put that back on myself. I want to help open the doors in people's brains so that they start understanding how situations are much more complicated and that how racism really is like this, it's like an earworm. It's like this insidious thing that goes throughout our society. I don't want to live in a society that doesn't reflect my values of, of respect and, and love of all, right? It doesn't, uh, it's, it, it makes me sick, you know, when it, when, uh, it makes me sick to, to see how George Floyd died and that there was somebody in our community that felt that that was okay. And he had eight minutes to think about it. Like it's, it's horrifying. <laughs> George Floyd and Breonna Taylor's death recently. I mean, th this has been happening in an ongoing way, but why the, why the protests now? It's sort of a confluence of people being really sick, tired, and angry, but it also has to do with COVID and our shelter in place and our and how much COVID is revealed of our inequities, like it's making it blatantly clear, right? You, it's very hard to argue that we don't have systemic problems that relate to race when you see what's happened with COVID. And I think because of all those things, just a lot of people in general who haven't been activated are going like, oh, I can't just be complacent or complicit. You know, um, honestly, I think the organizing started in 2016 with the presidential election. So I think there's a lot of hope because I think a lot of people are awakening. A lot of us, like even those of us who are privileged think like, oh, I don't, I, I'm not smart enough or I don't know enough or I don't have enough time to take leadership, to do something important, to, to be an anti-racist in a big way. It's why the racial equity initiative at Public Works has been really important to me and how like every day when I wake up to, you know, try to start working on it again and connect with my cohort and try to sort out like, what is our next step and what do we do? I feel super uncomfortable. I wonder like, what is, you know, me as a white person, how am I, how can I be part of it? And then I realize like, I need to be part of it because it's like all of us need to help change the system. And then I also think of Grace Lee's Boggs as saying, you know, we are the leaders we have been waiting for. And that, I don't mean that in an ego way, it just it, it reminds me I need to step up. I need to be part of things. So I do have a lot of hope. Thank you for listening to Snapshots, a Public Works podcast. <laughs>